Well, before we get started, I have one really important note I need to share with you. We have discovered that this chair, which has leather on it, squeaks in a very unusual way that sounds like certain body functions. And so if you hear any squeaking during this message, I have to let you know that it is the chair. I'm doing just fine. My health is great. Thank you so much for your concern. And so on that incredibly spiritual note, now that our minds are all in the right place, let's jump into our study. The Israelites have been freed from slavery in Egypt. They have miraculously crossed the Reed Sea, which closed in on the Egyptian army, which was pursuing them, wiping them out completely. And now this group of two to three million people continue their journey across the wilderness toward the promised land, the land known then as Canaan, which the Lord had promised to give to them. And as we follow their journey, we learn all kinds of practical helpful and insightful lessons about ourselves that we can apply to our own journey through life toward our final destination of heaven. Today's topic is going to be bread. And if you're like me, that gets you excited because bread is the best. It's just the best. If you have a different opinion, I respect your right to be wrong, but bread is the best. And as with much of the Old Testament, today's text covers a story that takes place at the surface level, but has much more to say on a deeper, more mystical level. And so that we can ponder these deeper things, I want to let you know up front the key to understanding Exodus chapter 16 on that mystical level. It's this, write this down. Bread in the Old Testament is a picture of the scriptures. Bread in the Old Testament is a picture of the scriptures. And then it's also this. Bread in the New Testament is a picture of Jesus. In the New Testament, it's a picture of Jesus. Just before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he went into the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days. And toward the end of that time, Satan showed up to tempt him in the famous temptation of Christ. Knowing that he was hungry, Satan said to Jesus, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? We're told that Jesus replied, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus likened the word of God to bread, and he declared that the word of God was able to meet the needs of a hungry man even better than actual bread. It's that powerful and practical. Throughout the Old Testament, bread is a picture of God's word, the scriptures. And then when we shift to the New Testament, we find the glorious gospel of John opening by calling Jesus the word. In John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So in the New Testament, bread shifts to become a picture of Jesus, the word of God in the flesh. Understanding this is going to help you extract even more truth from this chapter than we can cover in this message. And I hope you'll do that in your own study time this week. I hope you'll go back and dig into this even more deeply. I believe the Lord will have more to show you. So with that key and that understanding in mind, let's rejoin the Israelites in Exodus 16 verse 1. And they journeyed from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, the wilderness of sin. It's a real place. And it was really called that 
But yes, the Holy Spirit is also using the name in an obviously not so subtle way. And this is going to be where the Israelites get into the sin of complaining. We keep reading, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. If three of my kids, if just three, that's only half. If three of my kids start complaining at the same time, I'm in danger of... um, Let's say erupting. Let's say erupting. I'm in danger of erupting. Moses had over a million adults complaining to him at the same time. This was not a a glamorous leadership assignment. So spare a thought for Moses at this time. Verse 3, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. This is the kind of grumbling you hear from my children when we're about 15 minutes into a hike. Dad, have you brought us out into the wilderness to die? We talked about this last week. The Israelites are doing what we sometimes do. They're romanticizing their past to a ridiculous degree. What do I mean by that? Well, they are conveniently overlooking the small detail that they were well fed in Egypt because they were slaves. They were slaves. They were in bondage. And Pharaoh wanted them to eat enough so that he could work them like animals the next day. But sure. Let's complain about how much we miss the food. Their grumbling is also ridiculous because it implies that the Lord went to all the trouble of delivering them from Egypt, worked all those miracles, eliminated the Egyptian army at the Reed Sea so that he could lead the Israelites into the wilderness and let them die of starvation. That makes absolutely no logical sense. But we do the same thing, don't we? We sometimes allow ourselves to entertain thoughts like, maybe the Lord has abandoned me. Maybe I'm on my own this time. So let me get this straight. Jesus went to all the trouble of giving up the glory of heaven and becoming a man, living on the earth for three decades as a normal person, ministering on the earth for three years, being betrayed, beaten, scourged, crucified, killed, rising from the dead, ascending back to heaven, sending the Holy Spirit, establishing the church, giving us his word, but he is not going to take care of us between the time he saved us and the time we get to heaven. He's just going to let us die and forget about us in the time in between after doing all that. Come on now. Come on now. That's foolishness. I know we get hangry sometimes. I know there's something we want that we don't have in life and it makes us hangry. But that's no excuse for foolish thinking. There's no excuse for foolishness. But fortunately for us, even when we deserve to be slapped upside the head, the Lord is gracious. Verse four, then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. Man, don't you just love the heart of our heavenly father? He's so good, even when we don't deserve it, which by the way is all the time, all the time. God provided his word and then ultimately his son in response to our deepest need, our deepest hunger. What is the solution to fixing one's attitude? 
when you're grumpy, when you're feeling sorry for yourself, when you're cranky because of your circumstances, the solution is bread from heaven. Get yourself into the word of God. Feast on it. You'll find Jesus there and you will be satisfied. Write this down. The bread from heaven is given to satisfy our hunger slash needs. The bread from heaven is given to satisfy our hunger slash needs. We keep reading and the Lord says, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. So God says, every day I'm gonna provide what each person needs. I'm gonna make it rain down from heaven. That was God's commitment to his people. And I want us to notice a couple of things here. Firstly, make a note of this. God decided what each person needed. God decided what each person needed. He instructed them to gather a certain quota. It wasn't a free-for-all. It wasn't just, grab whatever you want, grab whatever you can. Jesus told his disciples, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Before you ask him, your father in heaven knows what you truly need. He knows what is best for you, both presently and eternally, and he'll give it to you if you'll trust and obey him. The first thing we notice in this is that God decided what each person needed. God decided what each person needed. Secondly, I noticed that God decided what each person needed, and it was based upon what the Lord knew they needed for that day. It was based upon what they needed for that day. Not that week, not that month, not that year, not the next 10 years, but what they needed for that day. Jesus told his disciples that when they prayed, they should ask their heavenly father this, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus said, ask the father for what you need for today. Most of us hear that and we can't help thinking, but why daily? Why not Enough for a week. Why not enough for a month? It's real simple. What kind of relationship does the Lord want with his children? What kind of relationship does the Lord want with you and I? He wants a daily relationship with us. But if he provided for my monthly needs, I'd still check in with him every day. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because our human nature causes us to take things for granted, especially the things we know we can count on. So the Lord says, I'm going to use your daily needs to keep you close to me. I'm going to use them to keep us connected, to keep you coming back to me so that you can continually experience my goodness, my faithfulness, my kindness. And then lastly, I noticed this. God says, that he's going to instruct the Israelites to gather a specific amount of this bread per person every day in order to test them, in order to test them. What does he mean by that? What's this test that God is talking about? Well, again, you know your human nature. In fact, we're seeing human nature on display right now with people hoarding because of COVID-19. The government tells us, don't worry, there's plenty of food and toilet paper and Lysol wipes and hand sanitizer for everybody as long as people don't hoard. As long as everybody just buys what they need for right now, we'll be fine. Do people listen? No, nobody listens. People have been grabbing everything they can because they're afraid. They're thinking, well, what if it's not here tomorrow? 
And we're going to find that the hearts of people haven't really changed that much in the last 3,000 years. God is testing the Israelites with this question. Make a note of this. Will you trust that I will keep my word and provide what you need for today? That's the test. God says, will you trust that I will keep my word and provide what you need for today? Will you trust me? And church, the Lord is still asking us that same question today. The Israelites, as we shall see, will not pass this test. But the Lord will give them endless opportunities to take the test again, just as he does for us today. Let me ask you, how are you doing with this test today? How are you doing right now in the middle of COVID-19 and all the hysteria? How are you doing at trusting the Lord to provide what you need today, practically, physically, emotionally, spiritually? And how are you doing at trusting that he'll do it again tomorrow? I know you know this, but let me tell you again. You can trust the Lord. You can trust the Lord. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with the lives of your loved ones. And you can trust him for today and trust him for tomorrow. And wherever you are, I hope you'll say amen to that. At least in your heart, I hope you'll say amen to that. Because the Lord is trustworthy. Verse 5, and it shall be on the sixth day that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. So on the sixth day of the week, things were going to be a little bit different. On that day, the Lord would send a double portion for every person, and we're going to find the reason is that the Lord had something different planned for the seventh day. Verse 6, Then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, at evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Also Moses said, this shall be seen when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and in the morning bread to the full, for the Lord hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we, underline this, Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord, against the Lord. So we learn that on this particular evening, the Lord was also going to send quail, birds for the Israelites to eat. And the text points to the quail being a special event that God just did that specific evening, while the bread would be their ongoing daily provision every morning. And we'll also find that quail is kind of a sign of judgment on the Israelites. It will only happen here and in Numbers 11. And in both cases, it's in response to their complaining. As Moses said to the Israelites, your complaints are not against us, they're against the Lord. And I would urge you to meditate on that sentence and just see what the Lord might want to say to you through that. Your complaints are against the Lord. While it's true that we live in a fallen world where bad things happen, there are many challenging circumstances that God allows into our lives. And when we find ourselves complaining all the time about our circumstances, we should remember that God is not unaware of our circumstances. And if we remember that reality, I believe we'll find ourselves praying things like, Lord, help me to understand what you're doing here. Or, Father, help me to know your will clearly in this situation. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves complaining about our situation and in so doing, completely miss the fact 
that God is choosing to work on us and in us and change our hearts through that situation. And we're really complaining against the Lord. Verse nine, then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. The Lord is so gracious with them, just as he is with us. He knows they're baby believers. He knows they're new believers who don't really understand his faithfulness yet. So he shows them mercy and more of his faithfulness. And I just love the Lord for that. Verse 13. So it was that quail came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. The phrase, what is it, is the Hebrew term manna. It's actually kind of snarky. It's like, what is it? What is it? And when we get down to verse 31, we're going to learn that that's what they called this bread-like substance that God provided for them every day. Keep reading. And Moses said to them, this is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Underline this, let every man gather it according to each one's need. One omer for each person, according to the number of persons. Let every man take for those who are in his tent. Well, what's an omer? Well, the last verse of this chapter really clears that up for us when it says, an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. So really couldn't be any clearer. I'm kidding. Of course, both an omer and an ephah are units of dry measure. An omer is about 9.3 cups while an ephah is 10 times that, about 93 cups. And now your life is completely changed by that piece of information. While we don't know exactly what we're talking about in terms of the manna and the size of the Israelite population, the best estimate that someone was able to come up with was that this amount of manna would amount to around 4,500 tons every morning. 4,500 tons of manna every morning. When we understand that the manna points mystically to God's word and and Jesus himself, we're able to make sense of this mystery. This is the mystery. The Lord told every man to gather it according to each one's need. So the Lord says, gather it according to your need, but yet he assigns every person the same amount. He says, yet I want every person to gather one omer, to gather this amount. So gather everything that you need but it's gotta be one omer. So how is it possible that everyone ate the same amount, yet everyone had their need met? Because something supernatural was going on. Something supernatural was going on. There was more to this bread than atoms, more than material matter, just as there is more to the word of God than words, ink, and paper. There's something supernatural going on when we take in the scriptures. It meets all of our needs. Write this down. The same scriptures and the same Jesus are able to meet everyone's unique needs. Everyone's unique needs. Even right now, as you're watching this, 
Many other people are watching this and God is ministering to them in different ways based upon what they need because something supernatural goes on when we get into the word of God. Verse 17, then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. And Moses said, let no one leave any of it till morning. It's provision for today, not for tomorrow. Tomorrow, there will be provision for tomorrow. As we said earlier, the Lord wants a daily relationship with you and I. Men especially, we're just not wired this way. We're wired for efficiency. If we could bang out our weekly relationship with the Lord in one day, we probably would, but that's not how deep relationships work. If you asked your significant other, would you prefer one rose from me every day for 12 days in a row, or would you prefer a bouquet of a dozen roses? Most women would say, oh, one a day. That's so romantic because women are just wired to understand intimacy better than men do. We'd say one a day, one a day for 12 days, but that's just so... It's so inefficient, but here's the deal. Meaningful relationships are not about efficiency. They're about intimacy. And so the Lord gives us enough for today so that we'll have something to talk to him about tomorrow because the goal is intimacy, not efficiency. Verse 20, notwithstanding, they did not heed. They did not listen to Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. They didn't listen to Moses? Shocking, who could have seen this coming? They tried to store some up, but when they got up the next morning, the stuff they had tried to save from the day before was rotten. It was full of worms, it stank, it had gone bad. As we mentioned earlier, people haven't really changed that much in the last 3,000 years. We're still out here stockpiling toilet paper for the next five years, even though the experts tell us there's plenty to go around if we'll just buy what we need. Let me step on some toes for a minute, not about the toilet paper thing, about something else. Many Christians are still failing this faith test, the test that the Lord gave the Israelites. Many Christians today are still failing it. To be specific, they're failing it in how they deal with their finances because far too many Christians simply refuse to trust God with their finances. They ask God to meet their needs and he does. Does that make them trust him? No. They just say, great, now I have extra income to save for the future. And when God graciously gives that to them too and gives them increase, they say, great, now I can save even more for the future. You see, the issue for many Christians is not having enough. It's not having enough for today. It's not even having enough for years from now. The issue is that Christians do not trust God to provide for tomorrow. Far too much of the time. They trust their possessions. They trust their money. They trust their stock portfolio. They trust their resources far more than they trust the promises of God. It should not be so. I'm not saying don't plan. I'm not saying don't save for the future. I'm saying don't save and plan for the future at the expense of trusting the Lord today. Don't make that sacrifice. Don't be like those Israelites who ignored the command of the Lord and refused to trust him. 
You're not going to come out ahead in the long run. You're not. We're here on earth for this long. Eternity goes on forever. Do not sacrifice trusting and obeying the Lord today so that you can get ahead a little bit for this much of eternity. It's just not worth it. It's not the wise thing to do. Trust the Lord today. Verse 21, underline this. So they gathered it every morning, every man according to his need. When the Holy Spirit is repetitive, what does that mean? It means, it means he really wants us to notice something. And he is drilling into us that this manna was given every day to meet the unique needs of every person. It really wants us to understand that. The Holy Spirit says, do not miss this. This is what Jesus does. This is what his word does. It meets your unique needs every day. Then it says, and when the sun became hot, it melted. The sun often in the Bible represents the the trials of life. Think of Jesus in the parables of the parable of the four soils where the sun bakes down and some wither and die, but some grow and thrive under it. Here's what I believe this verse is a picture of. We've got to get up. We've got to take in God's word in the morning. Like they had to go out and gather up this manna because the trials of life are going to come upon us during the day, just as the sun is going to rise and bake down on the Israelites. And when those trials come our way in the day, how we handle them, how we respond to them, how we walk through life is going to be based upon what we've taken in and stored up for ourselves in the morning for that day. Have we gone to the word? Have we met with the Lord? Have we had our spiritual, emotional, physical, practical needs met by the Lord? Are we ready for the day? God was saying, I want you to gather this bread during this specific part of the day, because if you don't do it then, it's gonna be melted later on. I'm not trying to be legalistic and say, God can't speak other times of the day. But if we're honest and practical, the only way 99.99% of people are able to take in God's word effectively is if they do it in the morning. The day has a way of stealing time and good intentions. And fatigue toward the end of the day has a way of making us unproductive. I would encourage you to get the word into your morning routine. It's the best time of the day to take it in. Verse 22, and so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms on it. So the Israelites were to use the sixth day, that day God would send a double portion to gather and prepare food also for the seventh day. Because on the seventh day, they were to honor the Lord by resting. Now, firstly, I love a God who says, you can honor me by resting. I love that. I can do that. Resting points to the the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He finished his work. He said, it is finished. And he rested from his work. And he's resting at the right hand of the Father right now. Secondly, resting is active in only one way. Faith. It's another type of faith test. Make a note of this and we'll talk about this. The Sabbath tests our faith by asking this question. Do you believe that God can do more through your obedience than you can through your works? 
Do you believe that God can do more through your obedience than you can through your works? Do you believe that your life will be more blessed if you obey the Lord and rest and take a Sabbath? Or do you believe your life will be more blessed if you ignore the command of God and work and try and earn more money and try and get ahead? That's the question. Will you trust the Lord that he will do more and bless you more if you will obey him and rest than if you will strive and work hard? That's the test. An interesting note for you Bible nerds. Apparently, God told Moses about the Sabbath before it was codified in the Ten Commandments, which will happen at Mount Sinai, which the Israelites have not yet reached in our narrative. And if you're thinking, well, wouldn't Moses have known about the Sabbath from Genesis and the creation account? Just remember, Moses hadn't written the Torah yet. He hadn't written the Torah yet. The best explanation is simply that the Lord must have had a conversation with Moses about the Sabbath sometime before this moment, or maybe even just before this moment, because Moses is familiar with it. And because the Sabbath is going to come up when the Ten Commandments are given later on in the book of Exodus, we're going to hold off at looking at the Sabbath in great detail right now because it's going to come up again later. Verse 25, then Moses said, eat that today for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. You won't find manna in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. (laughs) So inevitable what happens next in verse 27. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but underline this in your Bibles, this is big, but they found none. They found none. Listen, church, I I know the Sabbath is one of the most neglected commands in scripture, but I need you to understand this truth. It is still a faith test for us today. And because of that, If you choose to ignore the Sabbath, thinking you'll be more productive, you won't. You just won't. Somehow it won't add up to more. The Lord will make it so. In verse 27, we just read about some who had that mentality. They went out thinking, oh, I'll get a jump start on everyone else. I'll go gather some more. I'll get ahead by ignoring the Sabbath. And what does the text say? They found none. They found none. The Sabbath was made for us. It was given to us as a rest and a blessing. But that Sabbath rest, that Sabbath blessing will only be experienced by those who have the faith to observe it. Don't sell yourself and your family short. Take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath in faith. Add it to your lifestyle on a weekly basis. Verse 28, and the Lord said to Moses, How long do you, that's speaking of the Israelites, not Moses specifically, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. I think a more modern translation of this might be, and the Lord said, why are you all being idiots? Stop being idiots. So the people stopped being idiots and they rested on the seventh day. Verse 31, and the house of Israel called its name manna and it was like white coriander seed and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Basically, it was like the best tasting dry cereal that you could ever have. The kind you'd love to just put into a bowl as a kid uh, and just scarf down. That's what this stuff was like. Verse 32, 
Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer of manna in it, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Oh man, we got a situation here. We got to nerd out a little bit again. And, and you need to be aware of this so that this doesn't take you off guard if you ever come across this in the future. In academic circles, verse 34 has been the subject of, of much heated discussion. While I don't want to get heavily academic, I do want to make sure you understand this. Some critics will make the very valid point here that when you get into the original language, it's absolutely clear that the term, the testimony, is referring to the Ark of the Covenant. And I need to tell you, it is. There's no debate about that. It's talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Why is that a problem? Well, because the Ark of the Covenant hasn't been commissioned or built yet at this point in time. It does not exist yet. And so some will try to use this to claim that the Bible can't be supernaturally inspired because it has events like this that are out of chronological order. This is a mistake. This is proof it's written by man, not by God. It's proof that Moses didn't author the Torah. As I stated earlier in this series, though, I don't think that Moses was the only person who wrote the Torah. I believe he was the main author, but his work was supplemented by other qualified, divinely chosen scribes and editors, and all of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The bottom line, I believe, is that the Holy Spirit produced the version of the Torah that he wanted to produce, but he used multiple men to do it, more than just Moses. And so here's what seems to have happened in this instance. When the Ark of the Covenant is built, Moses and or Aaron place some of the manna inside of it, in part for educational purposes, in part for future generations, because all of Israel would know about this famous item, the Ark of the Covenant, and they would all know about the few items that were inside of it. And these items were placed inside the Ark to remind these future generations about what the Lord had done for Israel in bringing them out of Egypt through the wilderness and ultimately into the promised land. So an editor of the Torah who was working on Exodus wanted the reader to connect the manna to the Ark of the Covenant at this point in the story, even though the Ark wasn't made yet. He wanted them to do this for educational purposes. He wanted them to connect the Ark of the Covenant all the way back to Exodus and manna. And so he simply added that in. He just broke the chronology to add that detail in, even though it's not what happened in real time. It's not a mistake it's a technique. I know that's not how we think history should be written today from our perspective, and we assume that our perspective is the best perspective because we're full of ourselves. But to the Hebrew at this time, at the time this was written, it was perfectly understandable what the writer was doing. And the Jews were well aware that not all events in the Torah took place chronologically. There's no deception going on, and no Jew would have perceived it that way who was reading the Torah around the time it was written. The writer just wanted the reader to know this detail at this point point in the narrative of Exodus. And in order to do that, he had to break with chronology to put this detail in. It's that simple. It's not a mistake. It's not proof that the Bible isn't supernaturally inspired. It's just a writing technique likely employed by an editor of the Torah who added to it after Moses had died. 
Verse 35, now that you've got those academic details. Verse 35, and the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Manna, every day for 40 years. Uh, it was miraculous. It was delicious. It was supernatural. It was satisfying. But the old saying is true. Familiarity breeds contempt. Because while it's not recorded in Exodus, if you go and study Numbers 11, you'll find the Israelites complaining bitterly about the monotony of their diet. It is so easy to take the blessings of the Lord for granted. So easy. May we not do so. May we not do so. Psalm 103 was written by David. And I came across it this week. It seems to be speaking across time back to the Israelites who were in the wilderness at this time. And it's also speaking to you and I. And so I just want to read it to you. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And now David begins to list the benefits of belonging to the Lord. And so as I read this, just allow this to minister to your soul. Would you just begin to praise God within your own heart and just say, thank you, Lord, as I read this to you. These are the benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. I love this. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place remembers it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then finally, Exodus 16 <laughs> ends with the most anecdotal ending verse of any chapter in the Bible. <laughs> Verse 36. Now an omer is one-tenth of an ephah. That's a great memory verse. It'll change your life. Teach it to your children. Good to know. Manna. What is it? What is it? It's the word of God. It's Jesus. And his name is I am. I am what? I'm everything you need. Just as the manna miraculously met every nutritional need the Israelites had, Jesus and his word will miraculously meet every need that you have today and tomorrow. They will meet every need you have tomorrow. But you have to rise in the morning and gather it. 
You have to rise and take in his word for yourself. You have to rise and meet with him yourself. It's available. He's available. He's right here. His presence is with you wherever you're listening to this, wherever you're watching this right now. And his presence is within you if you've given your life to the Lord. He's available. His comfort is available. In John chapter six, a crowd of people spoke to Jesus about the text that we've been reading today. And they said, our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. That's the logical response. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst, never thirst. Listen, the Lord knows what you need. He knows what you need right now. And if you will go to him, if you'll spend time in his presence and time in his word, you will receive from him everything you need to be satisfied. He'll meet your need. He'll do it right now. With that, would you just bow your head wherever you are? Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your spirit is with us. You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're with us right now. And you're not just a God who's with us, but you're the God who meets all of our needs. So Father, I thank you that every need represented in every life listening to this or watching this right now, you're able to meet it. You're able to meet it. The needs that we don't even know we have you're ready to meet them, Lord. And so we just ask you, Lord, would you give us what we need? We trust that you know, and we trust you to decide what we need. We trust you to do what is good for us. We trust you to do what is good for those we love. We entrust them to you. We entrust our lives to you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Hey, thanks for being with us for this study. Before you go, I want to invite you to join us every Sunday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for our new live online service. This is something we've just started offering because of COVID-19, and it's a great way to join with our church from your home in worshiping and studying God's Word every week. You'll find everything you need on our website at mynewhope.ca. And hey, if you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to that website, mynewhope.ca, right now. Because when you get there, you're going to see a button that says the gospel. Click on that and you'll be able to watch a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing right now. So go to the website, click on the gospel. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. It's a huge encouragement to us. So shoot us an email at info at mynewhope.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through the teaching of his word. If you'd like to support the Bible teaching ministry of New Hope through financial giving, you can also do that through our website. Just go to mynewhope.ca slash give. And then finally, I want to invite you to follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mynewhope.ca. I know a bunch of people don't use Facebook right now, but it really is the best tool we have for getting you updates and encouragements throughout the week. So I hope you'll join us on there. Hey, I love you, Uppercase C Church. Be blessed.